Good afternoon, all. It's November 24th. It's my great pleasure to have with us today on Coffee with Jim an incredibly accomplished U.S. service person, nurse executive leader, Captain Virginia Beeson. Ginny Beeson is a nurse executive, consultant, and educator with over 40 years experience in healthcare. She was a Navy nurse for most of her career, serving as nurse manager, director of Navy Medicine's leadership development program, deputy director of the Navy Nurse Corps, and chief nurse executive. She retired from the Navy in June of 2003 as the chief nurse executive at the National Naval Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland. She's a graduate of the Johnson & Johnson program for nurse executives at the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania, and a recipient of Nursing Management's Distinguished Leader Award. In addition to multiple military honors and decorations, she received the Navy Nurse Corps Lifetime Leadership Award. She is a graduate of the University of Vermont, Boston University, and is certified in nursing administration advanced. Captain Beeson and I had the great pleasure to work together at the advisory board company in Washington, D.C. Uh, within the Nursing Leadership Academy. For me, Ginny was the single most influential learning force as I observed her facilitating impactful, interactive, engaging leadership seminars nationally that moved the dial on performance for her audiences. Ginny, it's my great pleasure. Thank you for your time with us today and for your selfless service to our country. Thanks, Jim. I'm delighted to be here. I'll talk about this in a little bit, but my service to the country was a joy and an honor, but it was not something that I planned, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. I can't wait to get to that part. And so, yes, before we get into our leadership discussion themed to speak or not to speak, let's do some fun little additional background uh, questions about you. So, Ginny, I know you like opera, La Traviata, or Carmen. Oh, Carmen. I okay. love the music of Carmen. Wow. Shifting gears, you love national parks. Yellowstone or Bryce? Oh, I think Bryce, only because the topography and the colors, it was phenomenal to me. Okay. You support an orphanage in the Dominican Republic called Casa de Luz. Tell us more. I went on my first mission trip, I'm embarrassed to say in my 60s, we went to the Dominican Republic and we worked on building a church for a part of the time. And the other part of the time we visited an orphanage called the House of Light Orphanage. And I was struck by many, many things. First of all, I was struck by, it was so clean and the kids were so well cared for. The orphanage is bright, it's called the House of light it's bright yellow they have pictures of animals and Disney characters on the walls and it was just clean and beautiful and I, I was struck by how well these children were cared for and the significance of their handicaps I mean they were severely handicapped and I found out that the couple that runs the orphanage are a minister and his wife who are so disturbed by the number of handicapped children that they saw in the streets in the Dominican Republic when parents can no longer care for their kids because of the burden of it, financial and otherwise, they put their children in the streets. So this minister and his wife sold everything that they had. They had two homes and automobiles and they sold everything and built this orphanage that is just beautiful and cheerful and uh, despite overwhelming handicaps. And I was just taken by it. And so I've been back every year that my church sponsors a mission trip for adults. Um, I go and I visit the orphanage every year and sponsor it at Christmas time in our mission gifts for Christmas at my church. Well, that's a powerful story. Yes, definitely a, a great cause. So thanks for your work there. Who are some leaders that inspired you? Uh, I would say, first of all, my parents. My dad was a glider pilot during World War II, later an engineer, and he just was the finest 
man and leader that I probably have ever known in terms of leading our family and his team of people that he worked with in his business company. Uh, so that I would say, first of all, my dad and also um, Lincoln. One of my favorite quotes is, we must have many Lincoln hearted men and women. <laughs> I love Lincoln and I love Churchill for his bravery, his courage, his stamina during one of the darkest times of our history. In terms of female leaders, Florence Nightingale stands out as a huge inspiration to me. She was much more than founder of nursing. She was a statistician. She was a politician. She was a, a strong leader and advocate for environmental health and cleanliness as a form of treatment for people that had wounds, especially during the Crimean War. She felt like she was called by God to, to become a nurse. It was at a time in England where most nurses were women of ill repute. So her family, who was a very strong Victorian wealthy family in London, mortified. But she persisted and founded nursing as a profession as we know it because she knew that nursing care and medical care were greatly intertwined but different. So she inspired me tremendously. The other person is Grace Hopper. Grace Hopper was an admiral in the Navy who um, was a computer genius. She inspires me a lot. She is the woman that is credited with the quote, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission. And in one of the stories I read about her, she said that as a woman in a field like computer science, she was oftentimes not taken seriously. So it was easier for her to proceed and then ask for forgiveness later. And usually she was right. So she, she didn't have to do too much groveling. I love that she was so strong and she's kind of a legend in the United States Navy. Great leaders and great quotes. It gives us a great opportunity to pivot to talk a little bit about your leadership career. Ginny, you've worked in military hospitals and in civilian hospitals. You've seen a lot. There are many people who have not been on the inside of hospitals and still don't believe COVID is real. How would you help others understand the clinical seriousness of COVID and the gravity of a highly infectious pandemic? This is a really interesting question for me because I don't understand how people cannot see the danger medically and healthcare from a healthcare perspective, how incredibly dangerous this virus is. And I think that a huge part of the problem is that the pandemic early on became a political issue instead of a healthcare issue or a scientific issue. So from the very beginning, people have been at odds with each other based on their political perspective. And then when we tried to convince each other, instead of it becoming an intelligent dialogue, it became an argument where I think that we named and blamed and shamed each other into trying to get the other person to agree with our perspective. First impressions are hard to change, as we know, and then it became more divisive, uglier in the national forum, in the media, and then I think people just became entrenched. And I don't understand the argument that it's my personal freedoms that are becoming impinged upon. Impinged upon, right? Because I think that, um, in a, and we've talked about this before. When you are on an airplane and they say fasten your seatbelt, you fasten your seatbelt. You don't say it's my personal prerogative not to have a seatbelt on. And if you do say that, you have to get off the plane because it's a safety issue. And this is the same thing. It's a safety issue. And we have to, from a medical perspective, it's just so hard for me to understand how people can't, don't get it. You know, if you were, if you were going to church and you heard that several people in the church might have smallpox or polio, you wouldn't go. You wouldn't say it, it's my personal right to sit next. I mean, I just, I don't think that you would say that. And yet we are saying that in this, 
COVID era, I don't, I do not understand how people cannot say that COVID is a serious healthcare issue. And we need to start paying attention to it, particularly now during the holidays. Yeah, that's a great point because we've seen numbers spiking now. In addition to the, the church or restaurant example and the smallpox and polio, we also talked a little bit about in the past, like if there was a, a place, if you knew that was infested with malarial mosquitoes, would you go into it? And I remember living in Kenya and thinking, you know, if I got mosquitoes in my in my net, in my tent, I got to get it out or I got to get out. Yeah, it that just seems so cut and dry. And yet now with this COVID, we're acting like it's a personal freedom issue. You know, again, I come from everything, from a healthcare perspective on everything. I just don't, I don't understand it. And we have to get the politics out and the science back in, which I hope is starting to happen. Right. So you've worn many hats in your lifetime. You've been a clinician leader and a military leader. What made you choose the military? Interestingly enough, I, um, although I've wanted to be a nurse my entire life, I did not want to join the military. I joined the military. I'm embarrassed to say this. I would love to say I joined the military because I was patriotic and I wanted to serve my country. But the real reason is that they had a scholarship program for nurses. And my dad knew about that. And so he asked me to look into it when I was in high school. I did. I talked to my guidance counselor about it, and I found out that if they paid your way through college, you had to give a three-year payback, which now seems to be like, wow, what a great deal. But when I was 17, three years after I graduated from college, I thought four years in college, three-year payback. And I even said to my dad, dad, I won't be able to start my life till I'm 24 years old. And so my dad, who was very understanding, said, you know, maybe it's not for you. And I went off to college. And in my sophomore year, the recruiter came on campus again and said, let us pay your way through college and you won't have any more financial worries. Um, at the time, um, there's four people in my family, four kids. My brother was at Lehigh in Pennsylvania. My sister was at the University of Arizona. I was at the University of Vermont. We are from New Jersey. <laughs> so my dad was struggling financially and he never said anything, but I thought, you know, this seems like a pretty good deal. So I did put in my application and I was accepted. My three-year payback <laughs> became a 30-year career, which I enjoyed tremendously. Well, so lucky for your teams and all the patients that were the beneficiaries of your care. One of the things that I've heard about the military is that you're taught to not speak up against the chain of command. Is that accurate? And how does that work in tough situations? Yeah, that's an accurate perception, I think, for the general public. But the truth of the matter is in the military, you can speak up against the chain of command, but they make it very clear that you need to do so respectfully kindly, professionally, and you need to go through your chain of command to do that. So if you want to talk to the, you know, your boss's boss, you would go through your direct supervisor. And you always do it in a professional and respectful manner and usually behind closed doors. You state your case, why you're upset with something, what you think should happen in its place. You never go and just complain. You need to have a, here's what I think we should be doing instead. And then in my, from my experience, that always has resulted in a professional conversation. Now, here's the thing. If you don't carry the day, if your opinion or whatever you're arguing for doesn't, you know, doesn't win the day, you march out of the office as if it was your idea and it is something you support. So once the decision has made, been made behind the closed doors and you're told, 
by your superior, here's how we're going to proceed. You salute smartly and walk out as if you thought that was the best idea in the world. And that is what, you know, I, I, I think that sometimes there's a misperception that you can't speak up. You can speak up, but you might not win. And you have to act like you did win. That's challenging sometimes, but that's, you know, that's the military. And I believe that that's the way it is in many other organizations as well. You can state your opinion, but in the end, the leader, the boss, the supervisor that makes is ultimately responsible is going to make the decision. And your job is to support it no matter what. Well, those are important distinctions. And what we've talked about in the past, people are less likely to speak up if they have a lot to lose. At what point do behaviors or situations become so egregious or dangerous that the clinical leader or the military leader can no longer remain silent and must speak out. At one point you told a story in your career when you spoke up because you wanted to do the right thing and it came back to bite you. You wanna tell us more? Yeah, I believe that this is why personal value system, you know, your purpose, your mission, if you will, your values are what are very important because in the course of your career, you're going to come up against a lot of things that bother you or challenge you. How do you know when to speak up and when to just, you know, say this is life in my organization? And I think that that's the huge challenge of professionals in practice and certainly leaders is when do you when do you know when to speak up and, and when do you when do you not speak up? And and I believe it comes down to, we've talked about this before, I believe it comes down to what what situations trigger a value in you that you can no longer remain silent, that you have to say something because what you're doing or being asked to do is now violating a principle that's just too far, you know, from the mark. So the situation I shared with you is my first tour at Bethesda, I did two tours at Bethesda Naval Hospital. My first tour was when there was a severe nursing shortage nationally and certainly in the military as well. And I was running a 44-bed multi-service surgical unit and I did not have anywhere near enough staff. And I felt like patient care was being compromised. And so I felt like I had to speak up because I'm, I'm very passionate about nursing. Although I did not want to join the military from the very beginning, I've wanted to be a nurse since I could speak, since I could walk. I'm devoted to nursing. It is a passion for me. And quality patient care every day is what I work for. And I felt like these conditions were less than I could handle or the standards were not what I felt were important. So I went to, through, I went through my supervisor to the chief nurse and verbalized my issues. It did not go well. <laughs> I didn't stop there. I went again and again, and I did present my case. I think honestly, professionally, respectfully, I was told, you know, this is what you have, so live with it. And, and this is where I think it's, you know, it's really hard. And so that's what I mean. When I walked out of the office, I could not go back to my staff and say, well, I tried and it didn't work. I had to go back and say, this is what we have. We're going to make it work because this is what we do here in the, you know, the military. So let's just all, you know, put our shoulders to the wheel and push on. But it was deeply painful for me. Ultimately, I made a choice to leave, leave the unit and I left Bethesda early before my tour. And also, as I shared with you, I got the worst fitness report. I've ever had in my life. In the military, when you meet, reach a certain rank, they rate you. So there were 
37 lieutenant commanders at Bethesda at the time I was there. I was number 37 of 37, which means I was like the worst. So (laughs) I paid for my speaking up, but I knew that that was a risk when I did it. And I felt that my value systems were such that I could no longer remain silent, but there was a cost. As you mentioned, your ranking earlier was first, so the first to worst story, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, the, the previous duty station that I had left, I would there were there were there were not as many lieutenant commanders. There were eighteen at the duty station I was at before I was at Bethesda, and I was number one. So I went from first to worst. <laughs> And I, I don't believe my practice changed. I believe what happened was I, I spoke up at a time when it was there was a price to pay. These are the tough leadership lessons too, because I imagine on one hand, you would like to go back to your team with some kind of empathy and say, I know you all are doing the best you can and here's what's going on. So that's a, that's a tough leadership edge to live on, yes? Yeah, and I think you can say, you know, you guys are working very, very hard and you're doing a great job and I am so grateful for, you know, your dedication and your very, very, very hard work but we just have to keep pushing on. You know, so you can certainly empathize with you know, the situation, but what you can't say is, I talked to the chief nurse and she doesn't want to hear it. I cannot say that. You have to say, you know, I appreciate all you're doing and I know you're working. I was so worried that my nurses were working so hard that it was at personal risk to them. I mean, yeah. their health and well-being was at risk. And that's what pushed me to say something. So if I hear you correctly, Ginny, you're saying you do need to speak up when you see something is egregious and you you calculate the risk and the benefit. In summarizing this story, what are the key points one needs to remember before you do speak up? I think that one of the axioms that I that I live with as a leader and one of my leadership principles was choose your battles. You know, as I said before, not everything that bothers you gets addressed. Those things that get addressed need to be those things that are so in so so much in conflict with your value system or your principles that you can no longer keep quiet. So I, I think that you need to first of all decide if it's a battle that you want to fight. And then I need to I think you need to be very crystal clear about what what the issue is. What is the issue or the problem that you're trying to face? The other thing I feel strongly about when I was in this situation in Bethesda, I was not a new nurse manager. I had been a nurse manager for 16 years. So I felt like I knew what I was talking about in terms of principal quality patient care. So I I believe that I was a subject matter expert. I believe I did know what I was talking about. I believe that I was very clear about what the issue is. And then you have to figure out what is the outcome that you're hoping for, because you can never, I don't think as a leader or as a person in an organization, you can never go and just dump your dirty laundry on somebody's desk and say, this is, this is wrong. This is terrible. This, these conditions are horrible. You have to have a solution. Here's what I think should happen. And then be ready to, you know, what's, what's middle ground? What could you live with? Because in most cases, you're not going to get what you want every time. So what are you willing to, I hate the word settle for, but what's middle ground? What might you be able to agree upon? And make sure before you go in that you've done all your homework, that you, again, you can't go in there with emotion and not fact. You have to be factual and state your case clearly and then be willing to know what, you have to know what the consequences are. 
And are you willing to take the risk that it might involve? Like I knew that going again, especially when I went more than once, I knew there was going to be a price to pay. I knew that. And decide if it's a battle that you want to fight. I think also, and this falls into the emotional intelligence realm, who is it that you're going to be speaking to? What is your relationship with that person? In this particular case, the person I was talking to, I had been stationed with before and we had a good relationship and I thought I could convince her that I was right. Didn't go that way, but you know, I believe that understanding what your relationship is with people that you're talking to is very, very important. And then, you know, the final thing to think about is what if you lose? Then what? You know, they could have, in the, in the military, you don't get fired. You get a terrible fitness report, which I did get. Then you might be relegated to some horrible job someplace. And I knew that was a risk and it was a risk I was willing to take. So I think that those are the, you know, be clear about what the issue, do your homework and be prepared, be aware of what the consequences might be and be aware of the risk and then decide, you know, are you, are you going to do it or not? Well, that speaks to your value systems. And you said your values are important to you and they should be for others, especially those in leadership roles. It speaks to your courage in stepping up and risking things that you had earned. You know, some of the, or one of the provocative questions that I've heard you ask your leadership audience is, why are you doing what you're doing? Or what makes you do what you do? Tell us about that. I found as I got more senior, this became one of the most important questions that I asked. And I think that as nursing professionals, certainly as new nurses, we are not clear about what our values are and what our purpose is. Then you get involved in the busyness of it and you don't even think about that. And as I taught, I taught leadership in Navy medicine. And we talked about our value system. And when we first asked people, what is your value system? What do they, if I ask you your five primary values, what would they be? I, I was amazed at how many people couldn't answer that question. So I decided to, to change the question is and ask, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? Because I believe that everybody's motivated by something. Usually what you're motivated by is tied to a value system that you have. If I can figure out what your value system is, what, why are you doing what your motivation is? Why are you doing what you're doing? then I can more easily know how to work with you and have a successful relationship with you. Let me just give you a couple of examples. It used to be back in my day, and, and as you mentioned in the intro, I've been a nurse now for over 40 years, but when you ask someone, why did you choose nursing? You got an answer like, I wanted to help people. I took care of my grandmother when she was sick. I watched the nurses in the hospital take care of my grandmother and I was so motivated by them. I had this desire to you know, to make a difference in people's lives in terms of their health. Now, today, you sometimes hear that answer also, but sometimes today what you hear is, it's a steady job, it is good pay. My spouse lost their job and we need to have some stability. Both of those answers are honest and both of those nurses can be really good nurses. But I, as a nurse leader, I'm always looking for more nurse leaders. The people that want to go into nursing leadership are those people that want to make a difference, that you know, love healthcare, that want to see things change. My work with them and my communication with them becomes different than the person that says, I want to, you know, I need a steady job and the money's good. For those people that are listening who are nurses, you know that people don't want to go into nursing leadership because you can make more money now as a staff nurse, particularly with all the opportunity out there right now and the fact that you can work more than one job. And I know a lot of staff nurses that are making a lot more money than their nurse leaders are, but the motivation is different. 
I changed my question as what are your values to why are you doing what you're doing? Because then I get at what your motivation is and motivation is closely tied to a value system. And once I know that, I know how to work with you more successfully as a nurse leader. And, and I want to be clear and say that I don't believe that there's a tremendous difference in performance necessarily, but there is a difference in what they want to do with their life and their career. And as a nurse leader who's always looking for more nurse leaders, I want the person that wants to make a difference in nursing and in healthcare. One of the things I think you've told me in the past is as you're listening for those motivations, there are always going to be bumps in the road. And so for those who are really motivated by great nursing, some of the data show it's possible that those who really are in it for those things you mentioned, the empathy, the bedside care, being a great nurse may be able to be more resilient in times of chronic and acute stress. Any reactions to that? Yes. I think that another value that I have, and I didn't start talking about this until later in my career, is passion. The more passionate you are about your chosen career, the more apt you are to be able to withstand the hard times. Again, your passion is tied to your value systems. If I can tap into what you're most passionate about, then I know how to work with you, guide you, and strengthen you, and help support you. Um, the other thing I just want to say about nursing is this. Nursing is hard work. It's hard. If The more passionate you are, the more you love nursing for nursing, the easier it is to get through the hard days of nursing because nursing is hard work. And recently I was talking to uh, my nephew who has had um, some challenges with his four-year-old in the hospital. And he said, boy, Aunt Jen, I never realized how hard nursing is. Nursing is hard work. That the more passionate that you are about your work, the easier it is to get through those tough times. And I believe that as senior nurses, we should do passion counseling and start to help people identify what is important to you in your career. What do you love about your job? Uh, what makes you get up and keep going to work every day? And let me just tell you a quick story about passion. When I was in one of my early duty stations, I had a nurse named Joyce, who was an outstanding nurse. She was so good and she was so dedicated and smart. As I worked with her, I discovered there was something missing. There was something off. I never really asked her what it was. I just determined she was a new nurse and she just needed encouragement. So I kept singing the nursing song, you know, give me an N, give me a U. Then she transferred and I transferred. And later on, we met again. And I was a chief nurse at one of the hospitals where I was nurse executive. Now Joyce is with me again. She's a nurse manager. Once again, she's a great nurse manager, but there's something missing. And so now I bring her to my office and I said, you know, why do you do what you're doing? What, you know, what are you most passionate about? You know, she told me that her husband lost his job. She was, you know, stayed in the Navy because they needed a stable income and, you know, nursing was a steady and reliable job. And I said, I just, I feel like there's something missing, Joyce. You're such a good nurse, but there's something missing and I can't figure out what it was. And she looked at me and she said, I don't really enjoy nursing that much. I was blown away. And I said, Joyce, why are you here then? I mean, if you don't like it, what are you doing here? And she said, I'm here for two reasons. She said, one is my husband, as I said, has lost his job and we need a stable income. And she said, the second reason I'm in my job is you. And I said, me? And she said, yes, when you were my first nurse manager. And when I realized that nursing really wasn't for me and, I, and you and I had counseling sessions, she said, not liking nursing was not an option for you. And I realized that she was right. I, I knew that there was something missing in her performance, but rather than figure out what that is, like what, tell me what you're thinking and feeling, Joyce, I kept singing the nursing cheer. And I discovered, you know, as I said, later in my career, I want to I find out early on 
with the nurses that I'm working with and for, what is it that makes you do what you do? Because then I know how to work with you more successfully and help you to get the most out of your job and give the most to your patients, which is what we're all about. Now, I now do passion counseling because I think it's very, very important, which is tied right back to the question is, why are you doing what you're doing? That's such a compelling story. I'm, I was riveted to the, to the final part of that story. You know, in our summary today, you've, you've already begun answering what makes a great leader. So you just shared passion. You've talked about if you're in it for the money, that might not be the, the best path for you. What else in terms of what makes a great leader? Number one, and Jim Collins talks about this in his book, Good to Great. Every leader needs to remember this. It is not about you. It is not about you. And I had a button made when I was in Bethesda. I'm holding it up now. And it's a red button. It says, it is not about you. And whenever I did counseling and teaching in my nursing career, I would say it's, you know, to my nurses, it's not about you. It's always and only about patient care. Quality patient care is the reason we exist. So I think that in addition to purpose, values, and passion, remember that it's not about you. I'm a huge believer in teamwork, teamwork, teamwork. Nursing is a team sport. I believe that honesty, transparency, and trust are very important, especially today. I think we need to be very honest in our communication about what's going on. I think integrity is important. What you say and what you do have to be the same thing because we've all worked for leaders that say the right thing, but in their actions don't follow through. And for me, that's integrity. Accountability. Accountability is a huge issue in hospitals today. I think that's important. And communication. Communication. You can never over communicate is another one of my mottos. And then courage. I, again, late in my career, discovered how important courage is because a lot of the stuff that we're asking nurses to do today, and particularly if you're going to speak up, which is the title of our podcast today, you need to have incredible courage and know when is the right time to speak up and when is not the right time to speak up. You need to put aside your personal feelings and consequences, and, and that requires incredible courage. And I don't think we ever talk about courage as a leadership skill. So maybe that's a topic for another podcast, because I think that that's very, very important. And again, you know, just say finally that nursing's hard work, whatever your job is, it's incredibly important work. And we have a lot of nurses that are so dedicated, especially now, you know, giving it their all and making personal sacrifices. And um, we owe them the very best leadership that's possible. And that's what I tried to provide in my career. And I hear that passion in your voice every time we talk about nursing. I hear how much you love it. Thanks for these pearls, Ginny. So grateful to you for today taking time. By the way, thanks again for your service to the country and for sharing these vital messages. Continued success to you and good health to you, your family, your fellow service people. And yes, I'll take you up on that offer. Maybe there's another podcast for another day too. I love talking about nursing leadership. So thanks so much for having me.